Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. And they will be returning home this afternoon, so pray for them as they travel back from Leavenworth, and we pray uh, God's blessing on them. Thank you for coming today. It's good to have you with us. And we're going to wrap up our short series from uh, the life of King Josiah this morning. Next Sunday, Sean is going to be preaching. You remember it, right? All right. He has to do this twice while he's here. And so uh, this is his first opportunity and as part of his internship. So he'll be preaching next Sunday. So you certainly want to come and uh, be a part of that and encourage him and share in his ministry. Sean's sister is visiting this week from Wisconsin as well. So it's nice to have anybody else who's visiting with us this morning. We welcome you and trust that you'll feel right at home this morning. In the Bible, there are certain place names, locations that are so well known, they're common in our even our own uh, cultural vocabulary and context. People that maybe don't even read the Bible or consider themselves Christians or certain things are aware of. One of those names uh, comes from uh, Revelation, and it is the name place Armageddon. Armageddon is a name that many people know. Uh, you'll hear it in Hollywood. You'll see it in titles of books, and it's associated with um, apocalypse, with destruction, uh, with bad. Okay, And uh, it comes from uh, the one that people particularly think of is in Revelation 16, where it says, they will go out to the kings of the world to gather them for the battle on the great day of God Almighty. Then they gather the kings together in the place that in the Hebrew is called Armageddon. Armageddon. Um, we're going to talk this morning about Josiah and the battle of Armageddon. But let's pray first. Fathers, we open your word. Uh, we do trust our hearts would... Uh, be open to you. We know we've brought many concerns and cares with us and, and uh, things in our heart as we come into the service this morning. We pray that for the next few moments we'll be able to focus on you and to just lay aside a few things and just uh, open our hearts to your word and your Holy Spirit this morning. May you speak to us. May we hear your word. In Christ, our precious Savior's name, we've, we've sung about this morning and we've gathered in his name. Amen. Armageddon. So Armageddon. Uh, it comes from two Hebrew words, and it says it's called in the Hebrew the place Armageddon. Har is a word for mountain or hill, and Megiddo is a place. So it is really the the hill or the mountain of Megiddo. As I've been, we started this series this summer, and we were uh, focusing on some of the stories of faith from places that when we visited Israel, 59 of us uh, this last May, and of course this is one of the places that we went to. Um, Armageddon, Armageddon, let me put a map up here. Uh, I know it's kind of small, but you kind of get, this This is the map of Israel. And Armageddon is right up here in the Jezreel Valley up toward Galilee. And is a, the reason it's so important, you can see here the highway that goes here up through Damascus and up into uh, Babylon, Syria, um, th- that area of the world today up across the Fertile Crescent. This particular area has been known for battles. This is not the only battle. In, in Revelation, where it talks about the armies of God's enemies gathering to fight 
at Harmageddon, the hill of Megiddo, everybody in that context would have understood this because there's a history of battles up until this past century during the First World War, the Ottoman Empire uh, during the First World War. Alexander the Great, the Romans, Old Testament. There have been multiple, probably more blood has been shed in the valley of Armageddon than any place in, in Palestine, in Israel, over the centuries. The reason for that is because the trade route going from Egypt, which was one world power, going across the trade route up to the Fertile Crescent, to Babylonia, Iraq, Iran, Syria, uh, the other world power, Babylon particularly, this was the trade route. And everybody had to pass right through here, through the Valley of Jezreel, and whoever, con- whoever controlled that highway, whoever controlled that location, pretty much controlled the trade and the power going from one area to the other. So it was very, very important. And... This map just shows you a little bit, a little bit different perspective from the, from the, from the Mediterranean Sea and the Jezreel Valley and Megiddo sits right here on the backside of, of the Carmel Mountains as the trade route would go up through here around that way or thread through here and up through there. So the, ba- the hill of Megiddo sits up like this and it overlooks, even today as you visit, here's the place, the, the Megiddo, the actual town or city of Megiddo on the hill. And you can see the, the Jezreel Valley out in the background. And you, I don't know if you can see it, but you can see the highway even today that runs right past it and goes up north to that area. So it's a very important place. This is very important in the story of Josiah. So I'd like you to turn to Second Chronicles this morning. And we've been looking at Josiah. And we're not going to take time this morning to review the last two Sundays. I'll just, in, in a nutshell, if you weren't here, to simply say this, that Josiah, when he comes to reign, is he comes in an era of, of terrible ungodliness and sin among the kings of Judah. The ten tribes of Israel have already been taken captive by the Assyrians. The two tribes of Judah and Benjamin located in the central south part of Palestine and, and Jerusalem as their capital. They've had, they've had a few good kings like Jehoshaphat and Hezekiah um, and but the most of them were wicked. Manasseh being one of the worst who followed Hezekiah, Josiah's grandfather. Josiah comes to the throne at eight years old, and he rules. Um, and and it, it, probably at about 20 years old, the regents let him rule completely. And we see, we, we looked at this the last two weeks, how his heart was drawn to God. He sought God. He served God. It says that he was a man, it tells us in Second Kings, Second uh, Kings chapter um, 23, that he served God with all of his heart, soul, and strength. Just as when they were asked in the New Testament, the Lord Jesus Christ, what's the greatest commandment? Hear, O Israel, the Lord the God, the Lord is one. And thou shalt serve the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And it said this of Josiah. He was a man who actually did that. He lived that way. He was a man who... We looked at last week how he brought the Passover back into celebration. Probably, as you look through the Old Testament, if you've been reading along this year in the Old Testament, probably only a handful of times they actually practiced the Passover. Hezekiah did it. Josiah did it. Most of the time they did not. It was way too costly. It was way too involved. It was, it was, it was, uh, it took a tremendous amount 
to come to Jerusalem. Hundreds, thousands of people come to Jerusalem. And that's the only place you could actually offer your sacrifice for Passover, as we saw last week, was at the Temple of Jerusalem. It took a lot, but it produced a lot. It brought them back to their, their beginning point, their story of salvation and their faith in God. But they didn't do it. And Josiah practiced the Passover like it had not been practiced since the time of Samuel the prophet, going back before David and Solomon. So he was a man who was who was a godly man. He was a man that his heart was drawn to God, and, and God promised him uh, that he would take care of him. So we come today to the end of his life. We had last week the story. Now, so if you weren't here last two weeks, Take a few minutes. It wouldn't take you long to go back and read the previous chapters. You could do it in, in one setting easily in, in a few minutes. When we come to chapter 35. We want to look today at how Josiah's story ends at the Battle of Armageddon. Verse 20. After all this, after the Passover had been celebrated, after this tremendous feast and joy, and incidentally, while the, while the celebration of Passover was costly and bloody, um, and, uh, and, and difficult for a nation of several hundred thousand to come together and keep. It was also a time of celebration. It was a happy festival. When they came to Jerusalem, they came singing the songs, the Hallel songs, the songs of praise to God. When Jesus came as a boy of 12 years old, and it says his parents came regularly to Jerusalem for Passover, it was a wonderful time. It was a great feast. It was a great celebration. They came with joy and singing to Jerusalem. And it was well worth the effort and the time and all that was involved to be reminded of God and His salvation. And after the celebration was over, after all the joy and the honor and, and, and Josiah leading the people in this godly way, we read this in verse 20. After all this, when Josiah had set the temple in order, put everything back in place, all the Levites, the priests, the sacrifices, the collections, everything. Nekel, king of Egypt, that is a pharaoh, king of Egypt, went up to fight at Carchemish on Euphrates. He was going to fight the Babylonians. The two world powers, Babylon and Egypt, were the two dominant world powers at this time. And they were for a long time. And he's going up to Carchemish to, on the Euphrates to fight the Babylonians. And Josiah marched out to meet him in battle. But the Pharaoh Necho sent messengers to him, saying, What quarrel is there between you and me, O king of Judah? It is not you I am attacking at this, at this time, but the house which I am at war with. God has told me, God has told me to hurry up, so stop opposing God who is with me, or he will destroy you. So we have the scene set. For this battle, the king of Egypt with his mighty army is going through Israel's territory. Israel is a sovereign nation. This is Israel's land. They are invading Israel, but they aren't there to fight. They are trans, they are taking that route that I showed you. They are taking the trade route. They are going up to Babylon along the most natural, common, quickest and easiest way with their entire army is marching through the Valley of Jezreel, right below Megiddo. This is up north, by the way. Josiah is down in Jerusalem in the south, where his, where his, his headquarters down there. They are marching through. And as they march through, Josiah, who is the commander-in-chief, that the king is expected to be at the front of his army, 
He leads the army of Judah, of Israel, the Jewish people, out to meet the Egyptians because they are invading his land. They are going through his land. And he has a right to protect his land. And he goes out there. And the king, the pharaoh of Egypt says, I am not here to fight you, Josiah. Don't come. This is not your battle. I am on my way to Babylon. God has told me, and the word God there is the word for Elohim, so it's the Jewish God, the Hebrew God. He has told me not to fight you. And he has told me to tell you to stay away. And this is the word that Josiah gets as head of the Israel army. And, yeah, well, <laughs> and what is he to do? What, what would you do? What's Josiah to do? Should he obey the Pharaoh? Is the Pharaoh speaking for the God of Israel? He is not known to speak for the God of Israel. Egypt has their gods. There is no history of the Egyptians worshiping the God of Israel, of Yahweh, the Lord of Israel. What is he to do? Is he speaking for God? Is this a ruse? Is this a trick? Is he going to go and come back on the way back and destroy Israel? What is he to do? Well, you probably know, or you may have guessed what happens. Verse 22. Josiah, however, would not turn away from him but disguised himself to engage him in battle. He was going out as head of the army. He disguises himself so he's not the target as the king of Israel. He goes out to engage in battle. He would not listen to what Necho had said at God's command. Notice that. At God's command. So according to the author of the Chronicles, the Pharaoh was actually speaking the truth. God had commanded him to say this to Josiah. But Josiah went out. And he went out to fight him on the plain of Megiddo, Armageddon. The plain right below the city of Megiddo, the plain of Armageddon. And he goes out there to fight him. And the archers shot Josiah. And he told his officers, take me away, I am badly wounded. They took him out of his chariot, put him in another chariot he had, and brought him to Jerusalem. That's a long way down south. They brought him down to Jerusalem where he died. He lived all that journey down to Jerusalem. You know, we took a bus from Jerusalem to Caesarea to Megiddo. It didn't take us very long, but it would have taken him a while in a chariot bumping along the roads down to Jerusalem. And he goes back to the city of David, Jerusalem, the city of peace. And there he dies. He dies in Jerusalem. And he was buried in the tomb, the tombs of his fathers. And all Judah and Jerusalem mourn for him. It's kind of a sad, you know, I've I've enjoyed this short series on on, uh, Josiah. I hope you have too. He's an amazing godly man. I'm still thinking about what what was it at at eight, what at 16 years old as a young person? We talked about this. You know, these guys took our young people down to Mount St. Helens. At 16 years old, what was it that, that his heart was so sensitive to the God of his fathers in spite of the wickedness in his family, the horrible sinfulness, probably the pinnacle of sinfulness in Judah's history, in his grandfather? And his father. 
What was it about him that drew his heart to God? What was it about him that that brought his whole people to repentance? What was it about him when he just listened to God's word being read and, and he broke down and he wept and he lamented and he confessed and he went before God on behalf of his people and they joined him. He was a man, we looked at how he trusted his own leaders and he said, let, let these guys build the temple, let them restore the temple and don't account for the money. I trust them. They're godly men. He put godly men in place. He, he changed radically this whole nation in a few short years. This, friends, is maybe the high point of Israel's history since the beginning of Solomon's reign before he fell. Well, I think it is. I mean, I don't, I don't know what else you could say when it says we looked at there was there was no God before him as great as him. And how his story ends. How his story ends. His story ends in the valley of Armageddon being killed by the Egyptians who weren't even there to fight him. They were on their way to Babylon. And he goes out to meet them. He didn't have to do that. He could have said okay and gone back. And he dies. And he's done. The story's over. And it raises the question that, and as you read different people's sermons and books and so on this, was he right or wrong? What, did, was Josiah, did Josiah do the right thing? Or was this the end of his life where he made a huge mistake and didn't trust God and paid for it with his life? What do you think? Was he right or was he wrong in what he did? Um, you know, I don't know, you know, because we're not given all the details. All we can go on is what we have here. And I'm going to, I'm going to come down on the side from, I want to look at it from, from his perspective. From his perspective as a godly king of Judah, whose heart was sensitive to God, who followed God. From his perspective, should he have believed the Pharaoh of what he told him? Well, you know, this is a tough neighborhood, just like it is today in the Middle East. Okay, the Egyptians and the Pharaohs were not known for their kindness to their enemies. Uh, they were not known, like any of the nations there, for just letting others be in control. Yes, they were on their way to Babylon, but if you go back, and they, and they do go to Carchemish, they fight the Babylonians, Josiah dies, they come back, and, and look what they do. In, in case you think this is just a benevolent king who is compassionate upon the Jews and Israel and so on, Go leave something here in Chronicles and go back to Second Kings. Go back to Second Kings where we also have this same account. We go back to Second Kings in chapter uh, 24 and uh, 20, uh, 23. Chapter 23. And after Josiah dies, I want you to notice. Well, you have the same story in up through verse 30, 29 to 30, but we're we're not given the details in Kings about the the Pharaoh going out to warn him. It just tells us he goes out to Megiddo to fight, and he dies there. And you'll notice that 31, Jehoiaz, his son, was 23 years old when he became king. He's the next king now. He reigned in Jerusalem three months, kind of a short reign. Okay, three months. His mother's name was Hamoto, daughter of Jeremiah, not the prophet Jeremiah. She was from Libna. He did evil. This is Josiah's son. His son. 
He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, just as his fathers had done, meaning the predecessors, the grandfather and the great-grandfather. One generation and his own son does these horrible, evil things once again that the other kings did. Now notice what it said. Pharaoh, Necho, put him in chains at Riblah in the land of Hamath, so he might not reign in Jerusalem. Pharaoh imposed on Judah a levy of a hundred talents of silver and a talent of gold. Pharaoh, Necho, made Eliakim, son of Josiah, king in his place of his father Josiah, changed Eliakim's name to Jehoiakim. But he took Jehoiaz, Josiah's son that had been king, carried him off to Egypt, and there he died. Jehoiakim paid Pharaoh Necho the silver and gold he demanded. In order to do so, he taxed the land, exacted silver and gold from the people of the land according to their assessments. So lest you think the Pharaoh of Egypt is some uh, benevolent, compassionate king who this is, he comes back on his way back and this is what he does. And he, he's a hard, tough military commander. Josiah knew this. Josiah knew what he was dealing with, with the king of Egypt. What do you do when the enemy says, your God told me that you are not to come out and fight against me? Secondly, if God spoke to Pharaoh, and apparently he did, because the chronicler says, as God commanded him, why didn't God tell Josiah? Why didn't God tell Josiah? Other kings had prophets. We looked at the story earlier this summer of, of uh, Baal and King Ahab and Jezebel, right? Other kings had prophets that came and told them about what was going to happen if they didn't change. Manasseh changed and repented at the end of his life. They had prophets. David had a prophet who came and confronted him after Bathsheba. Why didn't God send a prophet? Why didn't God send a message to Josiah? There is nothing that says Josiah heard the voice of God and and disregarded it. As far as I can tell, there is nothing in this story where Josiah is told by God, listen to him, don't go out there. He is not warned, as far as I can tell. And in fact, what Josiah does have to go on is the prophecy of Huldah the prophetess. I'm going to go back to chapter uh, 34 of Chronicles. And in Chronicles 34, and we read this a few weeks ago, and this is the prophetess, she's a female prophet, Huldah, and she lived in Jerusalem. And it says in verse 23, she said to them, this is the prophetess who says this to, to Josiah, This is what the Lord God of Israel says. Tell the man who sent you. Tell King Josiah. This is what the Lord says. You tell him this. I am going to bring disaster on this place, that is Israel, and its people. All the curses written in a book that have been read in the presence of the king, that was Deuteronomy, where they were warned, if you do this, I will bless you. If you do that, I will curse you. If you continue to do this and continue to disregard and continue to do evil, you eventually will lose this land and disaster will come upon you. And Huldah the prophet, prophetess says, this is what's going to happen. All the curses that have been read in the presence of the king of Judah will happen. Because they have forsaken me. They have burned incense to other gods. They have provoked me to anger. By all their hands they have made 
My anger will be poured out on this place and will not be quenched. Tell the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the words you heard. Because your heart was responsive, you humbled yourself before God when you heard what he spoke against this place and its people. And because you humbled yourself before me and tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have heard you, declares the Lord. Now, I will gather you to your fathers. You will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster I'm going to bring on this place and on those who live here. And the king took her, they took her answer back to the king. This was Josiah's future. This was the prophecy that he had been given by God through Huldah the prophetess. You will die in peace. You will not see the disaster that I'm going to bring on this place because of the wickedness and sin, because of your humility. You know, Hezekiah, one of the other godly kings of Israel, he received a similar message. And if you take time to go back to Second Kings chapter 20, as we were reading our Old Testament a few weeks ago and came across this, it kind of, I hadn't noticed this before, Hezekiah's response was, when God told him this, that it will not happen in your lifetime, Hezekiah's response was kind of like, good, I don't have to go through this. And he was at, and he was at peace about it. Josiah gets the same message. And he, looking out for his people, believing he is doing the right thing, I think, he goes out to defend his land against the enemies. God has not told him. The king of Egypt has told him. He goes out to fight his enemies on behalf of his people, risks his life, and he died. So I ask you, was Huldah's prophecy fulfilled? Did King Josiah die in peace? Well, (laughs) did King Josiah die in peace, or did he die in ignoble deaths and anguish because of disobedience? Was hold, we always were in a smaller classroom. I have you break up in three or four people and, and discuss it. It's a little difficult in here. Um, was the prophecy fulfilled? Did Josiah not have to see the destruction that came upon his people? Come on now, what do you think about that? Definitely. In fact, his descendants who became kings were humiliated. They were tortured. Eyes put out. Right? Taken in chains in humility and servitude to Babylon. The temple was destroyed. People were butchered and raped. The temple was burnt. The holy vessels of God, the Ark of the Covenant and all the holy vessels of God were ransacked and taken to foreign temples. The land of Israel was destroyed like it had never been destroyed. And they were taken captive to Babylon. Where would they do? They sat down by the river and they hung their harps. And the people there said, play us some happy songs from, from Palestine, from Judah. And they said, we can't do that. We can't do that here. 
He didn't have to see that. He was spared that. And I want to suggest to you, this is my opinion. This is my opinion. Your opinion is as good as mine. You don't have to be a pastor to have an opinion on this, okay? This is just my opinion. Of course, I'm interested in hearing from you what you think. Was the prophecy fulfilled? I think yes. I think Josiah was spared the pain of seeing his people destroyed and the captivity and his own children because of their sinfulness and the humiliation. I think he died as commander-in-chief of his army defending his people. I don't see any place where God said, listen to the king of Egypt. I, I told him to do this. Personally, I think, given what we've learned about Josiah, if God had come to him and said, Josiah, listen to me, this is what I want you to do, I think he would have done it. Was Josiah right or wrong? Maybe the question is more, dare I ask, did God do this right? Did God do this right? Why didn't he tell Josiah? Why did he do it that way? Why did he? Josiah could have died in his sleep. Why did God do it that way? Why did God send the army of Egypt to kill him? If he didn't want him to go to battle, he could have told him. Friends, the Bible makes it clear. God is just, and all that he does is just and right. Sometimes people ask you, and, and you know, there are questions I can't answer. If God is really God, why would he allow this to happen? You know, we face it all the time, and we face it in our own lives, right? You face those questions. I mean, it's, isn't, you know, it's okay to ask God these things. You know, He understands. There comes a point where we have to say, and, and my response is, you know what? The Bible says God is good and God is just. Therefore, everything He does, whether I think so or not, is just and is good. And it's right. Was this God's way of accomplishing his purpose and his kindness and graciousness to Josiah? I think Josiah's life did end in, in peace. He's the head of Israel. He died defending his people. But he did not have to see what was going to happen within a generation to his beloved land and his temple and the people whom he loved. 2 Timothy 3.16 All Scripture is inspired by God and it's profitable for our use, for our correction, our understanding, our training in godliness. The Old Testament, while we understand there are promises to Israel that we don't try to, we do not have a promised land like Israel had. There is a promised Messianic kingdom we believe still to come after God has called us home. But all the Old Testament is there to teach us, instruct us, and help us. The Apostle to the Hebrews writes this in the, in the, in the Epistle to the Hebrews, whoever wrote Hebrews. 
He says, we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. What are they? These Old Testament stories. These stories of faith. Therefore, let us move ahead and serve God. What are the lessons? I'll give you three lessons. Number one, I think we ought to be careful in how we judge other people's decisions. We don't know everything that God has told them or not told them in, in his way. Every one of us face decisions that we have to make. And sometimes, you know, we pray about it. We seek God's leading. And sometimes it's as clear as can be, this is the decision you need to make. I remember when Teresa and I decided back in 1984 that God was calling us back to, to here to, to assume the role of the, the pastor of Christian education. And we loved our church family. Thinking of Dallas Camp out this week, we had a great group of young families, young adults that we had tremendous relationship with. Our kids were born together. We loved it there. We really wrestled with this. It wasn't about just coming back to Seattle. And I went out to have coffee and talk with the pastor. And Teresa was home. We'd wrestle about it. I came home, and all of a sudden we looked at each other and both said, this is what we should do. God made it clear. This is what we should do. There are other times in life where you pray about it, right? You seek God's leading. You seek His leading. And there comes a point where you finally have to make a decision and you do it based on, on the best you have, but you're not sure clearly exactly, and you make that choice. That's life. And God works and God leads. And we should be careful. I want to be careful in judging Josiah and making some assumptions here about this very godly man. Secondly, there is a point of no return where God will follow through on His Word. Listen, friends, we preach the love and compassion and kindness of God as we should. But we have to preach the entire Bible. I don't get to choose. And the Bible does have a word about judgment. There will come a time, if you don't know Christ as Savior, you've heard the gospel message. You know the message of the cross of Jesus Christ. We preach and we, and we share every week, we can, that Jesus Christ came to earth and died for you and paid for your sins. He suffered your punishment because he was holy and pure and he was the only sacrifice. Only a human could take my place, but only a holy sacrifice could please God for sin because sin is so ugly. I don't need to tell you that. And He offers you eternal life and forgiveness for sins. If you continue to deny that, and you continue to put that off, the Bible does tell us there is a time of no return where you will have to stand before God. God does judge. The Bible tells us, Second Peter tells us, those who say, where is, where is this talk of God's coming? Things just go on and on and on like they always have. He's not going to do anything. And Peter says this world's going to going to disappear in a, in a in a violent destruction when God finally judges sin. He said, don't forget, to God a day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. It's been two days since the time of Christ, from God's perspective. It's the whole account. Now listen, friends. God said to Israel, stop, 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 stop. If you don't stop, this is what's going to happen. If you do stop, I will take care of you. And it finally got to the point where God says, Josiah, 
I'm going to take you in peace, and you are not going to have to see this. It is going to happen. No matter what you do, it is still going to happen. So my second message is simply this. There is a point of no return. Israel had passed it. There will be a remnant. They will be restored. God will honor his promise, as he always does. The last thing I want to say this. And it kind of triggered my my thought. Recently I read from a fairly prominent Bible teacher, pastor recently, about cautioning us to ever use Romans 8, 28. When someone is suffering, when someone's going through a difficult time, don't hit them over the head with Romans 8, 28. And we know this, that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him who have been called according to His purpose. And we're cautioned. Don't just use that. Don't Someone's suffering, don't throw... Yes, I get it. I understand. Yes, I could be careless. I could be less sensitive and say, oh, don't worry about it. All things work together for good, so quit feeling bad and get going. Okay? But, but, is this not one of the absolute pinnacles of the New Testament teaching of God? That everything, in everything, and the different translations, some of them catch it a little bit better, in everything, God is working. In my mistakes, I've made a few in my life. In your family's history, in our history as a church, if we look back on our lives, could we not say, you know what, I did this, I should have done that. I did this and it kind of changed the course of my life, I should have done that. And can we look back at all those things and in remorse or Dare I say that even in those things, as well as the things you did well, occasionally we do things right, huh? I look back and say, yes, that was the right decision. That in all those things, God, could God possibly be at work in all those things to bring good, His good, which is my good? I think this is a classic case, the life of Josiah. I think, I personally think, I'll find out when I get to heaven, but I think he went out to that battle in the dark as to what God had really talked. Why would you trust the Pharaoh? Look, we saw what he did. He's not a trustworthy character. He had nothing. He has no love for Israel. He went out there in the dark to, not knowing and went out there and God used it and God used that situation to accomplish God's purpose to bring his life to an end in peace and not have to see the destruction of Israel. And I just want to leave you with that this morning, friends. Yes, I'll be careful with this passage. I won't use it carelessly. But I am not going to ever shy away from this passage and helping people as we go through life. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. We sang earlier a song, 
Precious Lord, take my hand. Now you sang it for us. Put the words up there. I told you before, but back in 1980 when I was in Minneapolis, went down to Hennepin Avenue United Methodist Church, good, strong, evangelical church in downtown Minneapolis. Soul, soul, blacktop festival on the blacktop of their parking lot. And they brought in Thomas Dorsey, tall African-American man, about my size, 80-some years old, on the verge of starting dementia. And they brought him, and his, his, the guy with him brought him up to the, to the pulpit outside to the platform on his walker. <laughs> Came up on his walker. <laughs> Could hardly get up there. And he got up there and he told the story of that song. He was a, he was a piano player for Ma Rainey back in the twenties, I think it was, played the blues. And he was saved, remarkably saved. And his life changed. And he, he was the, he literally was the first one to publish gospel music, not hymns. First one. Historically, it's true. He was, a, and he, and he, and it cost him. He was ostracized in his own church for, for dare publishing gospel music. He was the first one. And he told that story. His wife, he was away doing ministry. And his wife was in childbirth. And she died and the child. Young man, recent con- con- convert, writing gospel music, serving God, and she died. And he got that message, and, and, and he broke down. And as a result of that, he wrote that song. But he wrote it, Lord, take my hand. And a friend of his, he, he, he told this story, he said, a friend of mine came alongside and he said, no, Thomas, no. He said, it's precious, Lord, take my hand. And he changed it. Precious, Lord, take my hand in this horrible situation. And God's people have been singing that song for decades and getting help and strength from that song. All things work together for good to those who love God and have been called according to His purpose. We learn from the past. We look to the future. We live in God's will now. There is much we have to leave in God's hand. Deuteronomy 29.29 The secret things belong to God. The revealed things belong to us. We trust Him and we leave and we're going to keep walking by faith. Amen? We're going to walk by faith not by sight, and we're going to trust Him that He is at work. The chronicler who wrote uh, the Chronicles uh, wrote them at the end of the Babylonian captivity, the Persian captivity, way at the very end of the Old Testament. We know that because he records the time of, of Cyrus. And he records this about Josiah. Jeremiah composed laments for Josiah. Not the book of Lamentations, but he did compose laments for Josiah. To this day, to this day, clear into the Persian reign, the end of the Old Testament, to this day, all the men and women singers commemorate Josiah in the laments. This became a tradition in Israel, and they are written in the laments. Josiah was a man who they remembered for generations because of his godliness. 
It's a great story, huh? It's a great story. I think it ended good because it was God's good. Next time I go to Grand Rapids next month, I'm going to go to the Corner Record Store on Chicago Avenue, and I'm going to go to the section of blues because filed away in that section of blues is a record that really shouldn't be there. It should be in the gospel section. That's why it's still there, and if God wants me to have it, it'll still be there. <laughs> it's a two-record set, still sealed up, 28.95. Thomas Dorsey. I had that record back in the 1980s, and then I lost it. I'm listening to records again, so it's there, and I'm going to get it because it's, it's from the same era that when I got to see him in the 80s. It was put out that year. And one of the songs on there that I love, I am on the battlefield for my Lord. I am on the battlefield for my Lord. And I promised Him that I would serve Him till I die. I am on the battlefield for my Lord. I don't know about you, but I don't want to burn out. I want to, I want to rust, I don't want to rust out. I want to burn out. <laughs> I want to, I want to burn out in the battlefield for my Lord, like Josiah did. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. And Lord, give us the courage to stand for what's right. Read in Jeremiah. Jeremiah, as he laments, and he talks about Josiah, and talks about his son's wickedness and reminds him, you weren't like your father who cared for the needy, who loved the powerless, This is how he treated his people as king. He didn't take advantage of them. He loved them and he cared for them. And God, might we love, might we care, might we serve, might we rejoice, and most of all, might we trust you. No matter what comes in our life, no matter what's happened in our life, might we trust you that you are working these things for your good and your good is our good And so we leave this place the happiest and rejoicing people in Shoreline today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.